The first thing God did with me as a new believer in 1975 was to lead me to a scripture concerning getting out of debt. At that time, I owned a small business in Dallas, Texas. The business was in American Indian Arts. I wasn't deeply in debt, but I was a little bit in debt. A woman had come along before I was a believer and had taken quite an interest in my business, and she wanted to put an investment of $6,000 into the business, which I allowed her to do. But after I was born again, I saw a scripture which told me not to be unequally yoked to an unbeliever. That scripture is in Second Corinthians chapter 6. Start at verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, for ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Another scripture which got my attention was, in Romans 13, Owe no man anything. I was led strongly by both of these scriptures in getting out of debt. First looking at Owe no man anything. I began basically a campaign to cut my expenditures. One thing that has always amazed me is the amount of money people pay at restaurants for iced tea and things like that. It's a huge amount of money, proportionately speaking. I was at that time playing bridge, and at the bridge center, uh, they had coffee for 50 cents, and I had previously stopped at Starbucks. But in this interim period of time, I cut back on everything, everything personal. At one point, I remember wanting to buy another comb for my hair, and I didn't even do that. What God was doing with me was establishing a way of life, getting me to rein myself in and have more control over me, establishing a way of life. Of course, these small changes I made didn't make a dent in anything. It just restructured my thinking about the spending of money. Money is such a dangerous thing. 
If you get in debt, you can end up serving money and end up in the totally wrong place. I know so many people take jobs that they hate because they want the money. They, they try to get a job that pays more money than the job they had, and they end up hating the work they're doing. They hate being at that job. It's a terrible life. There's a scripture where Jesus says, you can't serve God and mammon. If you try to serve money and follow after money and try to get more money, it can lead you in a total way of disaster. Let's look at a scripture on that. It will be Second Timothy chapter 3. I'm sorry, that's wrong. It'll be First Timothy chapter 6. I don't plan these broadcasts out ahead of time. I allow the Spirit of God to rise up in me and order the scriptures, show me want to speak. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Start at verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. There are some people that think gain is a form of godliness. The people who gain the most might be the most ungodly people. Gain cannot be a sign of godliness. I attended a church back in 1980 called Word of Faith, and they taught a very heavy prosperity doctrine. I became very embarrassed over my car. It was about eight years old, and a wonderful car, ran beautifully. But the problem is, I had to let it sit outside in Texas, and in those days, uh, those vinyl roofs were very popular on cars. That hot Texas sun struck the roof, and it broke and peeled. And I just looked awful. I looked like somebody from the other side of the track, so to speak, my car just looked terrible. It looked like it was anything but prospering. And I lived in a very modest apartment in Dallas. It was uh, about $180 a month rent. Nice part of town, but a very modest apartment. So I had nothing showing that I was prosperous. My outward appearance certainly didn't show prosperity. At one of those points in time when I had that car... I was, had agreed to pick up Marilyn Hickey at the airport and help her get to her hotel where she was having a meeting. 
I was so embarrassed over my car that I invited the man that I was dating to drive me over to pick up Marilyn because he had a new car. That's how much this emphasis on prosperity can hurt you. The emphasis on appearance, physical appearance and prosperity, that's how much it can hurt you as a Christian. So Paul warns us, if they suppose these people think gain is a sign of godliness, just withdraw yourselves from them. Then Paul says, verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich, in other words, those who set about to have more money, I don't mean the riches of a Bill Gates, just trying to get that money, trying to do things to get more money. Debt can drive you to do that, but then many people do it just as a way of life because it seems right to them. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's a, a scripture in Proverbs. But they that will be rich, try to get more money, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lust, which drowned men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. If you let money lead you, you are in danger. Repent, ask God to create in you a clean heart. Paul says, while which some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Paul tells Timothy the evangelist, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Every one of these scriptures that I'm reading to you today will be printed on our podcast blog so that you can hear this 
podcast, if you desire to do so, you can listen to it again and follow along as I speak the scriptures. You can follow along with the exact scripture that I'm speaking. To get to that, you go to Jesus Ministries Exhortations. That is our regular blog. On the right-hand side of the page, it says podcast. Click on that link that's under that word, and it will take you directly to the podcast. The name of this broadcast is Getting Out of Debt and Staying Out of Debt. You can hear this again and read these exact scriptures if you care to do so. So the first thing I did in trying to get out of debt, of course I was praying for God to help me. But the first thing I did was to cut back on my personal expenditures. There are just many things I didn't need that I could do otherwise. And even though that was only a drop in the bucket, it restructured my thinking. The second thing that happened to me was a true miracle. I've told you that I owed this unbeliever uh, $6,000. I went to New Mexico on buying trips for my business. I was in a shop, and there was an old Navajo rug rolled up. I began looking at it, and I was quite taken with it. I don't know a thing about rugs. I knew a great deal about about jewelry and a great deal about pottery, Indian pottery, but I didn't know anything about rugs, but that caught my attention. I asked, how much is this? And I was told $500. I always paid cash for merchandise, for God had shown me, don't buy more than you can afford, and then sell it and just come back and put everything else into merchandise. I didn't go out and borrow large sums of money to buy merchandise. I bought the amount of merchandise that I could handle, that I could pay for in cash, because that's what God taught me to do in this thing of getting out of debt. Definitely not the way of the world. Actually, a friend of mine was an executive with Braniff Airlines. And she said to me, well, I've never seen anyone run a business like you have do. She said, everywhere I've ever been, they've taught us borrow money, use the other person's money to make money. But you don't do that. About three months later, Braniff Airlines went out of business and filed bankruptcy. That's just one example. Well, God just showed me don't do that. So here I'm at this place and this old Navajo rug is lying there and I can't get away from it. God has also taught me to follow your interest. He often leads us by our interest. Finally, I bought the rug. I took it down to Albuquerque and found a Navajo Indian rug appraiser, one of the best that lived at that time. And Edna told me, he said, Joan, you have really lucked out on this one. This is a good rug. She said, most of these old rugs are worthless, but this is a good rug. She said, when you get back to Dallas, you're going to want to price this so that it will not sell. 
She appraised it at $1,500 at the time. I paid 500 She appraised it at 1500 and told me to price it where it wouldn't sell. The first day I was back in Dallas, a man came to look at jewelry. That rug was lying, rolled up and just over at the side of the wall. He said, what is that? I said, oh, that's a Navajo rug. He said, well, let me see it. And I said, oh, you wouldn't want that. He said, well, I'd like to see it. And I said, okay. So I unrolled it, and he looked at it, and he said, how much? And I said, $5,000. And he said, I'll take it. I was horrified because I ran an honest business. I never overcharged my customers. I tried to talk him out of buying it, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't, ever, he wouldn't hear me. He just said, no, I want it. He was writing out the check for $5,000. I said to him, well, here's what I'll do. I'm not going to cash your check for one week. If you decide for any reason that you don't want this rug, you come back and bring the rug. I will give you your check back. I never heard from the man again. So at the end of a week, I cashed his check. I put another $1,000 with it. I paid off the woman who had given me the business loan, and I was debt-free. That was in approximately 1976, and I have never been in debt again since that time for anything. It served me particularly well when I went into the ministry. Because if you as a minister are in debt and overspend, you will be tempted to put more pressure on your congregation. I was on radio, so I didn't have the kind of church like you imagine, a building where people come and stuff. But I still had radio bills and things like that. You just have to be so careful as a ministry, minister not to put burden on your congregation. Live within your means. I believe the devil really enters in with ministers and says things like, oh, you can get the word out. You need to get, you need to go all over the world and preach the gospel. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do, do these things, which you don't have the money to do. So then you turn and try to beg the church for money and put pressure on people and make them feel guilty. And really, you as a minister end up being an extortioner when you do such things. I've seen it all the time. I get emails constantly from people who say they're ministers. And they'll say, oh, I'm building an orphanage. And I'm building a school. And I'm building an old folks home. And then I'm going to travel so-and-so and preach the gospel. And then I want to give free Bibles to everyone who comes to my meeting. Send me your money. This is not a plan of God. I never send them a penny. It's not a plan of God, and they make you feel so guilty if you don't do it. This is definitely not a plan of God. It is an extortioner, and what Paul says to do to brothers who are extortioners is to put them out from among you. Do not keep company with them, and Paul calls him a wicked man. 
There are just a few sins Paul names there in 1 Corinthians 5 and tells us to take this action if they come among us. And many of them are the preachers. Well, we may not be able to put the preacher out, but we certainly don't have to go to his church when we see this. When he makes you feel guilty that you don't give enough money, you don't have to go to that church. Just leave. For that's extortion. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 5 a moment. It start, it's in verse 11. Paul says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. With such a one know not to eat. And in verse 13, he says, Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Extortion is one of the reasons. Back in the days when Jimmy Swaggart was caught with the prostitute, he came on television and did a tearful plea to the church, I have sinned. I attended a little Assembly of God church in Clovis, New Mexico. I visited that little church. I was just shocked to hear the pastor say, we should pray for Brother Swaggart. I said in a very low voice, he should be put out of the church. The woman sitting in front of me apparently heard it. She turned and glared at me. Of course, I never went back to that church again. But um, I was basing my, I mean, inwardly, I know this scripture in First Corinthians 5. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, which is what Swaggart was doing, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one do not eat. But the Assembly of God leadership completely omitted this scripture in their action, and they decided to pray for Brother Swaggart and... I use that term brother loosely, you understand. They they prayed for Swaggart, and then they counseled him. About two or three years later, Wikipedia, the, international, the Internet Encyclopedia, reports that Swaggart was caught with another prostitute, and that time he told the policeman, it's flat out none of your business. The Lord says to me, it's flat out none of your business what I do. Well, that's not true. If we are a Christian, it's everybody's business what we do, and it's especially the business of the church. Because as a Christian, a real Christian, we would be horrified to live an ungodly life. For we should be living godly lives in Christ Jesus. So that with that second offense, it's my understanding from what they wrote in Wikipedia that the Assembly of God Church defrocked, so to speak, Brother Swaggart. Well, this man's not a brother. He's not my brother. A brother in Christ repents truly from the heart and is sorrow. He's, he's sorry when he does sins. 
aren't you sorry when you do sins? I am. I mean, if I do something I think is wrong, I'm horrified. Often, it's a devil telling me it's a thing wrong, and God straightens me up. Back to the subject of get out of debt, stay out of debt. So the first step you would take is ask God for wisdom on how to get out of debt. Tell him you would like to do this scripture. Owe no man anything. And please help me, God. Please help me. Show me how to do it. In James 1.5, we are told, if any of you lack wisdom on how to do something, ask God, who giveth to all liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him a guarantee that God will give us his wisdom on whatever it is we're trying to do when we ask him for wisdom. So I'd say that's step number one. Pay attention to the Holy Spirit who is in you and leading you step by step. Let me tell you this story. It's a really, really good story. Pam Paget, who does all of the technical work for this ministry, as a young woman, she she trained to help juvenile delinquents, and she found she was totally unsuited for that work. So she moved to Colorado to help her grandmother, and she took a job as a secretary in a bank. She was a secretary to the legal department in the bank. The head person said to Pam, somebody gave us two computers. They were still in boxes over. One had been opened and the other hadn't even been opened. This was in 1985, I believe it was. This man said to her, I wish you would open these boxes and get one of those computers out and see if you can figure out any way to make it help us at the bank. So Pam did that, and then she asked him, said, could I go to the community college or to the college and take a computer course on how to use a computer? And he said, sure. So they got a list of the courses, and they chose a course for her to take, and it was called BASIC. Pam had been praying for God to help her to get into a more interesting form of work because she had enjoyed this job at the first, but now she's bored with it. So she's asking God to help her to find another form of work that she would find interesting. She goes to the computer class called BASIC, and the professor starts talking, and immediately... She finds out this is not how to operate a computer, but rather how to write code for a computer for a computer program called BASIC. She sits and begins to listen, however, and finds she is fascinated with the subject of writing code. On the way home, she says to God, that's it, this is it. This is what I want to do. So she studies writing code, and she takes a job at a little software place in Colorado Springs where she lives. 
on writing code. But it goes bankrupt, and she hears of an opening at FedEx for a programmer. I think she took a course on interviewing to be ready to interview or writing resumes or something like that. She went to the interview, and it turned out the question the interviewer asked her, she answered totally wrong. And when she went back to the place where she had been working, she told the man about what had happened. And he said, well, you better not count on that job. But they called Pam. They hired her. She spent the next 20 years in a job she just loved, writing code at FedEx, working in programming. That's how God got her into a place where she could love a job. God has a way to do that for you if you hate your job. Start praying diligently and be sensitive to your interest. For God often leads us by our interest. He puts his desires into our hearts. It says, commit your way to the Lord and uh, he will give you the desires of your hearts. And I think that means he'll put his desire into your heart so that you think you're getting your desire, but really it's his will for you when you do it this way. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Don't follow after things. Follow after scripture. Take that one scripture that's called to your attention and do it over and over and over until it gets down deep into you and becomes a part of you. That's seeking first the kingdom of God. And before Along the way, you're going to notice that you kind of, without thinking about it, accumulated some things. I'm 82 years old, and I'm totally surrounded by things. I have a wonderful sound system, a TV sound system, uh, things I never dreamed of having, never in my life dreamed of. I didn't set out to get these things. I just kept following the scriptures that God showed me and somehow these things just appeared along the way and then something else appeared and by that time I was afford to, could afford to buy it because I wasn't spending much money because I was, had, was out of debt and had already restructured the inside of me to be content and things just appeared. It was amazing. That's his scripture. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You seek his righteousness by following the word of God, doing the word of God, whether God gives you a word just that comes to your mind or whether he gives you a scripture. Follow that scripture as far as it will take you. It's like being on a highway. You go down the highway with this one scripture, just one scripture, Doing it, putting it in your life, doing it. 
And then you get down the highway a little ways, and there's another scripture. It's like you, the fork in the road. And you follow that scripture. And then you keep going, and there's another, and you go that way. And guess what? You're on God's highway, and you end up exactly where God wants you to be, doing what he wants you to do in this present lifetime, and he will give you joy and gladness over it. You won't be in a job that you hate when you do this. He will teach you. He will lead you. You will be led along the way, and you will, in my opinion, live below your means to pay and be debt-free. It really seems impossible that this could happen. But this is the way of God to righteously, righteousness, prosperity, and good success. It makes no sense the world wouldn't accept it for a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. But what I'm speaking to you here is spiritual. John eight thirty one thirty two. Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, whatever word he gives you, whatever scripture he gives you by his spirit, it'll just kind of come off the page. You'll be reading the Bible and all of a sudden that verse of scripture just, you don't want to read past it. It just, you get hung up on it. Don't read past it. Stay with it. That is a special message to you from God for your point in time exactly now to lead you in what you need for your life. So Jesus says, if you continue, keep doing that word, keep doing it, in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. As a new Christian, one of the most important sections of scriptures to me was Joshua chapter 1. God said to Joshua, only be thou strong and very courageous. Well, we have to be strong and very courageous in the things God has given us. That thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Now, we don't do the law of Moses today, but we do the rules of the New Testament. Anything you find in the New Testament Bible, we should be living by those things. Secondly, there are a great many promises of God in the Bible, in the Old Testament, which are valid for us today, one of which is Isaiah fifty-four seventeen, No weapon formed against thee will, shall prosper. Every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn, for this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. That's a valid scripture for us to believe today. No weapon that's formed against us will prosper. That's very helpful. There are many very helpful scriptures in the Old Testament, but we don't 
through the sacrifices of the law of Moses because Jesus is our sacrifice today. But God told Joshua, don't turn from the law of Moses. In our case, don't turn from the scriptures, from the New Testament scriptures. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper wherever thou goest. Just look at the remarkable story of Joseph. He was taken into slavery, sold into slavery by his own brothers when he was 17, taken down into Egypt by the Ishmaelites, sold to Pontifer, the uh, chief, I think, Gar, um, one of the chief of Pharaoh's men. He worked as a servant for Pontifer, and everything he did prospered because God made it to prosper. prosper. Then Pontifer's wife tried to get him to have sex with her, and he fled. He left his garment and just ran away. She showed the garment to Pontifer and said, This Hebrew has tried to have sex with me. And Pontifer became very angry and put Joseph in the dungeon in prison. God gave Joseph favor with the keeper of the prison who put Joseph in charge of the prisoners. Everywhere he went, he prospered. Finally, when he got out of prison, God had given uh, Pharaoh a dream, and he gave Joseph the interpretation for the dream and caused Joseph to prosper because he had been given the interpretation. There were going to be seven years of prosperity and seven years of total famine. So when what Joseph recommended to Pharaoh was to put a man in charge who was wise. And Pharaoh said, well, who's wiser than you are, <laughs> who God gives wisdom to? So he put Joseph in charge of everything. And Joseph came up with a plan of saving the corn during the seven prosperous years. So when the famine hit, People were coming from everywhere to Egypt because they are the ones who had the food, including Joseph's own father, Jacob, and his brothers. God has an ability to make you prosper if you're following him. All you have to do is latch on to that last scripture that stood out to you and drank and get every drop of blood out of that scripture. Do it. Think about it day and night. Keep it before you day and night. Do that scripture. Now that's exactly what Joshua chapter 1 says. God said to Joshua, this book of the law, basically for us the New Testament Bible and some many of the promises of the Old Testament, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Think about that scripture day and night. Try to apply it to your house, uh, to your life. And God says that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. And God says, have not I commanded thee? 
Am I the one telling you to do this? Am I the one who has told you to go this direction, to do this thing? If I am, I'm with you and you are going to prosper. This is just the way it is. I've lived by this scripture for more than 40 years and I have never seen it fail. It's often in a way that you don't suspect. For often we know what God wants us to do, but we may not know exactly how to do it. I want to give you an example of this. This happened to me on January 10th, 1980. I was asleep in the night. I was awakened by a very loud trumpet-like voice who spoke three words into my ear. Hartford, Seattle, KWJS. I jumped out of bed and wrote KWJS on a notepad, not wanting to forget the letters. It was very obvious to me Those were call letters to either radio or television. I looked it up and found it to be a radio station. And I said to God, Are you telling me to go on radio? I wouldn't know how to do that. Then I reminded God of something. I'm a writer, not a speaker. A very gentle voice came into my mind, call the radio station manager. That was the Holy Spirit answering the statement where I said to God, I wouldn't know how to go on radio. Call the radio station manager. That morning I did that. And I asked to speak to the station manager. He came on the phone immediately. I said to him, God might be showing me to go on radio, but I wouldn't know how to do that. And he said, make an audition tape, 29 and a half minutes long, send it to me. If you fit our broadcasting, we will offer you a contract. That very morning, as soon as I hung up the phone, I found my cassette tape recorder. I made a cassette tape 29 and a half minutes long. I sent it to the radio station manager. Within five days, I was broadcasting on radio station KWJS. I believe it was an angel of God who spoke that into my ear that night because it was a very loud, powerful trumpet-like sound. I have found the Holy Spirit to be a very gentle thought that will come from inside me up to my mind like an idea. But angels are very powerful, and I think this was an angel of God carrying a message from God showing me what to do. By the end of the year, I had expanded from one station to another, By the end of the year, I was on radio from Hartford to Seattle, just like the angel said, I mean, I believe angel, said to me, 
This is an example of God getting you where you need to be. There are so many ways God can do this. We, in our limitation, just think, well, how in the world can God communicate with me? I don't know how he would do that. That's not a problem. He created heaven and earth. He can certainly communicate with us, even though each time I am in this process, I think, oh, I don't know. I don't know how he can communicate with me. He always does. It's my limitation of not of feeling that way. But God is totally able to communicate with us. Not only can he communicate with us, he knows the future. You can ask everybody in your neighborhood what they think you ought to do. But the great problem is they don't know the future. God does. So learn to trust God and ask God. Here's another promise from God to us. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Let me rephrase it. His delight is in the word of God, those little scriptures brought to your attention by the Holy Spirit, or a specific word from God. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. It's not easy to blow a tree down when it is constantly nourished by the river of water. It has a deep root system. As you meditate in that word that you have from God, in that scripture or in that word, when you think about it, your root system begins to develop. As you do that word, every time you do that word, the root system gets deeper in you, and you are like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither. In the hot times, in the hard times, in the droughts, in the times when the world is fighting over recession or money problems, your leaf will not wither because you're planted by this river of water. These scriptures are rivers of water to us. And God promises, and whatsoever he doeth will prosper. Follow the scriptures. Don't follow things. Don't follow after things. Follow after scripture. Doing the scripture. That's the key to prosperity and success for us. But this is Joan Boney speaking, and I urge you again to go to our blog, Jesus Ministries Exhortations. Click on Podcast which is on the right-hand side of the page, home page. It will bring up all the podcasts which I've recorded. Every one of these podcasts have every scripture that I have spoken for that podcast printed out for you. So you can copy these scriptures for yourself and look upon them and think upon them day and night and move in the way of God. For this is the way of God for us, the church. Thank you for allowing me to speak to you.